You're listening to The Story Connective. In this episode, Loxley and I talk about what has inspired us to share inspiring stories. That's what it's about for me, that I was able to provide a story-based piece of content that then somebody else could use to help these ideas spread farther and farther out into the community. Welcome to The Story Connective. I'm Rebecca Rhapsody. And I'm Loxley Clovis. The Story Connective shares inspiring stories of possibility, resilience, and cooperation. We just got back about a week ago from a two-month travel. So this is our first podcast of 2019. It's good to be back and we're easing into things. So we thought it would be a good idea to interview each other for this podcast. What's inspired us? What are some of the examples of resilience in communities that we've seen, particularly what we saw on our travels? And just to talk a little bit about what we've learned in the last two years of producing podcasts and videos for the Story Connective. And also because it is the beginning of the year for us, we've been talking um, off air about where we've been and where we're going. And we thought it would be fun to bring you along into some of those thoughts. Yeah, and we're actually excited to tell you about our two-month trip because it was, in fact, our honeymoon. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and we went to some amazing places. They were really amazing. We got to see our really good friend, Manola, in Guatemala. And we also traveled through the deep jungles of Mexico. Yeah, it was a really, really awesome time. And shout out to Manola because we know that she's a listener. There's so much that happens when I travel, when you travel. Uh, it's something that I find really rewarding and I'm really grateful that we're able to do. Loxley, what do you like about traveling? Well, what first comes to mind is just diversity. Like, I know you and I really enjoy trying different foods. So for me, it's similar to that. And it's kind of like taste testing different places, different locations, different cultures. And yeah, different foods too. And it really, really shows me um, inspiring ways that other people live. And what about you? What do you like about traveling? <laughs> Good question. Well, one reason why I wanted to go to Guatemala and Mexico with you is because we both speak Spanish. And I really wanted to be in a place where everything I saw and the language of all the days is Spanish. And so it was really great to practice. Although, actually, Guatemala and where we went in Mexico... There's a lot of indigenous languages. So we found ourselves talking to people that Spanish isn't their first language. Their first language is Quechiquel or Sutujil or Lacandon. And we'll tell you a little bit more about that in a bit. And I like how travel engages my imagination. Like I, I like to walk through a place and imagine what would it be like to grow up here? What would it be like to be living here? And uh, to go to places that are less developed than shiny America is also really just really wonderful for expanding my views of the world and what it means to be human and what other humans are going through. And sometimes they have some really uh, creative ways of doing things and bringing resilience to their communities and to their lives. And I, I find it all really inspiring. Yeah. And that said, we saw some interesting examples of exactly what the types of things we like to talk about on this podcast, like resilience, possibility and cooperation. And we were both really inspired by particularly the town of Shekuku Abach or 
San Juan La Laguna in Lake Atitlan in Guatemala and the cooperatives there. And do you want to talk a little bit more about the co-ops that we saw? I would love to talk about the cooperatives that we saw, the cooperativas. So this was at Lake Atitlan, as Loxley said. And there's one town that's getting a lot of fame and renown in the region called San Juan La Laguna. And what San Juan La Laguna has done is that they have formed dozens of female-run cooperatives. Because of our research skills and the way we travel, we found out that the indigenous name for this town, what they've been calling it for years and years and years, is Sheikku Abach. And in Sheikku Abach, San Juan La Laguna, the women there, well, the women throughout Guatemala, but the women in San Juan La Laguna have really tapped into how women in Guatemala have a long, strong history of weaving. And it's embedded into the traditions of the country and it's passed down from generation to generation. And they, they'll weave on backstrap looms. And they also know how to to gather plants from the countryside around them and they make natural dyes out of these plants. We talked quite a bit to the women who work in these cooperatives and they uh, told us that they would gather together and they'd go out into the into the campo, into the woods together and gather all these different herbs and then they'd come back and divvy it up and all the women would boil the plants in their own kitchens and make these dyes and dye uh, cotton. And so everything there that they're weaving is also naturally dyed. They don't use any synthetic dyes at all. And this is a tradition that's really embedded into the culture and it's been going on for a long, long time. And the weaves are just so vibrant and so colorful and beautiful. And that's how you purchase these textiles in San Juan La Laguna. You buy it straight from the hands of the women that wove them or people that know the exact woman that wove them. And this is something that women can do in their own houses. So they'll be sitting there and doing the, the work that they have to do, or after the kids go to bed, they'll be weaving and weaving and weaving. Or they'll engage the kids in doing some of the activities that need to happen um, to wind the threads that they weave with. And all the villages throughout Guatemala have very traditional designs that they put on their clothes, certain symbols, etc., that symbolize where they're from. And there's a lot of hidden meaning in those symbols. So the, the story is just really fascinating to me. And the cooperative structure was just really impressive. We talked to a lot of different people, men, women, all different ages. And we asked, like, how can we help? How can we help as tourists here um, to make sure that what we're doing is having a beneficial impact on where we are? And every person that we talked to said, buy from the cooperatives. It's a way that the, the money that we're spending here goes straight back into the community and helps with the issues that the community faces, such as poverty, illiteracy, clean drinking water. Um, and it also helps preserve the local language there, Sutuhil, as well, and the traditional cultures and such. And the cooperative structure is really neat, too, because it's these women that are working together. All these women were weaving anyway in their houses. And by coming together and having these storefronts together, they're creating this connection point that they feel really safe and good about and tourists can feel really good and safe about um, going and being able to purchase these amazing works of art in a way that brings the money as close to the person who made it as possible. And um, since it's a cooperative, it's a cooperative environment. So if they get a really large order, all the cooperatives will come together to fill that order, which allows them to have a reach deeper out into the world than any of these women would be able to do on their own. So 
that was really cool. There was a couple of times that we sat and we we chatted with the women in the store and uh, ended up purchasing scarves that were made from the woman that we were talking to. They're just amazing artisans. So impressive. Anything else you'd want to add about the cooperativas that we saw? Yeah, on your point, particularly about the people saying this is how you support them. Um, I think the cooperative movement started roughly in the mid-90s, and you could really tell by um, just talking with the people walking through the town that it's really lifted up the town, in, not just economically, but its spirits and everything. And I was really adamant about wondering if this structure really works. I had had some experience um, talking to and shopping at um, the Basque Cooperative Mondragon, for example, and seeing the successes of that. And I was curious if it worked in other parts of the world, too, like Central America. And so I was really adamant about asking every single person what they thought of it. And every single person was positive, not just the people that were working in the cooperatives, not just the people. We even talked to people who none of their immediate family and none of them worked in the cooperatives and they were adamant. They said, yes, this is really, really benefiting the community, really lifting up the community. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that it's a way that's benefiting the community and lifting up the community, using something that is so rooted in the culture of the community and keeping that part of their culture alive. It gives me goosebumps thinking about it. <laughs> Um, but that's not the only thing that we saw. What's a project that you want to talk about, Lexi? Um, Well, so many. But another one that I want to highlight is that we were able to see um, a people really living their flavor of lifestyle without too much uh, outside influence. These were a people of Mayan descent who uh, were living very, very similar to the way they did before the Spaniards came, before Europeans came to the Mayan world. And they are called the Lacandon people in the jungles of Mexico. And there's a great museum about them in San Cristobal de las Casas in a town in southern Mexico. And you can learn all about them there. They have a great library. And then from there on, you can also uh, do excursions down into the jungle. And it was really, really neat to see these people uh, they live in towns deep inside the jungle, and they basically live off a type of subsistence polyculture where they have these very, very diverse gardens where they grow corns, beans, squash, tomatoes, chili peppers, etc. on a three to five year basis. And then when the soils get tired, they go and they replant the forest. But then they do it intentionally and they replant the forest to feed particular birds, to feed particular mammals that live in the forest too, and then also their own forest plants like for their medicines and to build their houses and stuff like that. And so they leave a forest basically in their wake and they go like that on a rotational basis until a windstorm knocks over a big tree and then they'll start over with the annual plants again. And so on a 20-year rotational basis, basis. They have this really sustainable type of forest polyculture gardening called the Milpa system. And it was really, really amazing to see the way these folks live in a really amazingly sustainable way with the environment around them. It was really amazing. And uh, again, the way that we travel is that we ask questions from the people that we meet. And so we talked to a lot of people 
So many people were dialed in about where their food came from. They grew their own food. They grew their own corns and beans and squash. That really does happen. And they don't use synthetic fertilizers like we've gotten so accustomed to in America. That connection of how to grow food in a way that is building soil too and is using the microorganisms in the soil is the way of life there. And so to learn from their their ways of growing and getting to visit milpas and see the soil there and how they were doing it, it was it was a really fantastic experience and I'm very grateful we were able to do. Uh, and something else we were able to do in that area too is go on a walk in the jungle with one of the Lacandon people who was wearing one of his big white tunic. People wear white tunics and the, the men, particularly the older men, have their hair long to about their shoulders. And we went on a walk in the jungle with a man from this village and he knew all the different bird calls of the forest and he just was so knowledgeable, all the different plants in there. And it's a place that we could just see him light up when he was in the jungle. It's the place of his childhood. It's a place of happy memories for him. And during our talk, he told us that he never learned how to read or write. But to us, he was so knowledgeable, so, so knowledgeable. So that's a really fun reframe because often we think, oh, illiteracy, uh-oh. But he was also literate in a way that I'm illiterate and Loxy is illiterate and is really inspiring to, to get to see the way that he interacted and could, and could really immerse himself and even um, would harvest food for dinner from the jungle in a way that was completely sustainable to the jungle, not taking too much at all. Um, but enjoying these treasures that the jungle naturally gives to his people that they use all the time. Yeah, and we met a person who was over 100 years old. He didn't have a gray hair on his head. We met another person whose father lived to 125, and they were all adamant about the same way, that um, it was, in fact, their lifestyle and the way they interacted with the land and the way they ate and um, their community, too, um, their strong sense of community that allowed them to live these really long, healthy lives. Yeah. As you know, if you've been listening to our podcast, we're pretty passionate about agricultural systems and horticultural systems. And uh, I'm so grateful and blown away to have been able to be in a community that is horticultural, meaning that they garden and they forage. Um, and they're not planting rows and rows and rows and rows of the same crop for miles as we're so used to seeing in our country. And that they're doing it in a way that has been sustainable for thousands of years. And to actually walk among those systems and talk to those people about their agriculture, it definitely inspires me to to be in a place that is living it. Um, I do spend a lot of time with farmers on Maui and horticulturalists on Maui, and it just reconfirms in me the yes we can feeling of that, that this is possible. We can live in a way that is interacting with the natural world and even making a positive impact of the places that we're growing our food. That was really great. And the cooperative, same thing. I've, I've envisioned and dreamed about these cooperative systems and to, to be in a place where that is such a strong backbone of the community and seeing how this co-ownership and this having power together rather than having somebody have power over these women, these women are empowering each other to benefit their community. Again, it's inspiring about what's possible and how cooperation and resiliency can really benefit many people and benefit the planet. What about you? Any takeaways? 
I guess uh, my biggest takeaway was the pride that these people took in their culture and their sense of place. And so I want to cultivate that in my watershed, in my area where I live. I want to cultivate a sense of pride and joy in the, that sense of place. And so now we're back on Maui. Uh, we had a wonderful honeymoon. And now that we are back on Maui, we're easing into what's next for us. And for me, it's always really helpful to look to the past to inspire my future and the choices that I'm making in the future. And I began thinking about what inspired me to make the story connective and be a content creator and a storyteller in the first place. And I began to think about what kind of content really inspired me and made a difference in the way that I look at the world. And I realized that Loxley has this too. So we're going to talk about that for a bit. Loxley, can you give us some examples of the content that's inspired you, changed the way you looked at things? Yeah, so there's a couple of things in particular that have happened over the past few years. And I think one of the biggest things for me was stumbling upon the documentary called In Grave Danger of Falling Food. It can be found on YouTube. I think the first time I watched it, it was on YouTube. And it's just this really inspiring positive solutions-based way to look at the world. And it's looking at the world through a permaculture lens. It's an introduction to permaculture, partly. And partly, it is a biography on Bill Mollison's life. Bill Mollison was the co-coiner of the term permaculture. So yeah, that, I think, inspired me to the fact that I could watch something online or listen to something online and actually have a positive paradigm shift in the way I see the world and a solutions-based paradigm shift. So it really, really, really inspired me and it lit a fire under me to make inspiring, positive, solutions-based content that people all over the world can find online. So that's the first thing. And then our friend Richard Gear and also shout out to Ching Hong Wei and all the other amazing people of StoryBridge and the StoryBridge method um, that if you've been listening to our podcasts, you know about the StoryBridge method where we get a group of people in a room together and give them a prompt and have them speak about a story in their own life based on that prompt. And that method, when I participated in it the first few times, also had a really amazing positive shift in me. And so I wanted to share that with the world and we wanted to bring that story bridge process to the podcast world which is something we hope to do more of in 2019 those are great examples in grave danger of falling food and story bridge very inspiring um, content creation and uh, some of the content that's inspired me are, are those as well. I've also seen In Grave Danger of Falling Food, and I was really blown away with seeing how humans can use our ability to, to think in systems and create designs and to make a positive impact on our environment. It's such a great story to lean into and to learn and to understand because there's also so many stories out there of the opposite of humans doing damage. So it's so good to be reminded and to see examples of humans making a positive impact and to create a positive footprint. So awesome. Uh, so that's in grave danger of falling food. And uh, 
this is a bit different. It's not about agriculture pretty much at all. But one of the, the documentaries that most inspired me is a documentary called The World According to Sesame Street. And this documentary follows the Sesame Project. A lot of people don't know in the United States that although Sesame Street started in the United States, it also has offshoots of the project in other parts of the world. And it has a slightly different name and different characters and a different set. So in New York City, the purpose of Sesame Street was to reach inner city kids that weren't necessarily getting uh, their ABCs and 123s from home. So they wanted to have there be this really engaging, creative way for these kids to get educated. And then they took that formula and they, they changed it for different countries. So in the New York City version, everybody meets on a street stoop and at the corner store and it's all very urban. But in the Bangladeshi version, everybody meets around the banyan tree in the town square and there's a Bangladeshi tiger and there's a, a girl puppet that asks lots of questions because they're wanting to teach the youth of these countries to have pride in their culture, of course, and then also that girls can ask questions. Or in the South African version of, of Sesame Street, so many people and so many young kids have HIV there that they even have a puppet, a Muppet, that is HIV positive. And they'll do skits with this HIV positive Muppet talking about her experiences and normalizing her experiences and teaching the other kids that she can play just like everybody else or what she does when she gets sad because her mom died of AIDS. And it was really impressive to see that. And there's this one clip in the documentary of children watching these TV screens. And I guess it's the effectiveness of, of being able to broadcast something out there that so many people are going to see that can literally change the way a country views some of its own issues and can transform those issues so they're not even issues anymore. Um, and that's something that Sesame Street's even been able to do in our own country um, by normalizing a lot of things in their early episodes. I grew up watching Sesame Street. I think Loxley grew up watching Sesame Street too. And there's things that are just not so much of an issue for us. And I think that's because of Sesame Street. So that's super inspiring to me. I guess it has to do with young education. You might not know this, but I teach kids. Um, and it has to do with the, the power of creativity to engage people's attention, because that's something that Sesame Street does. And, and it was so nice to see, I guess, again, people being the good guys, because there's a lot of American implanting of culture all over the world. And this time it was an American organization going to a part of the world and saying, what's special about your place? What do you want to aspire to in your place? What do you want to to teach the kids of this place so that your place can continue to be your place and be even better. And that's what this documentary really gets into. And super inspiring. Changed the way, probably changed the direction of my life and the things that I want to get involved with. And uh, another thing that has really inspired me in the documentary world of things, um, and this is a bit of a different direction, is a documentary called The Canary Effect which explores the content of a book called Kill the Indian, Save the Man in documentary form. And one reason why this content was so uh, impactful for me is because this gets into a part of the history of the United States that I think that all Americans need to know, which is how many Native people were here and how these Native communities were systematically wiped out. Um, 
it is genocide. And this documentary gets into that. Um, and the reason why this makes my list of inspiring content is because there's stories that need to be told. And there's stories that if I don't know these stories about my own country, I'm going to look at my country in a certain way. And if I do know these stories about my country, it's going to affect the way that I look at my country too and my choices and my actions and what I want to be educated about and what I want to get involved with and how I want to be in my community. So a lot of gratitude to the makers of both of these films and I highly recommend them. And I like looking at the content that's inspired me because we're creating content that we hope people want to share because it's inspiring to them and it's nice to look at the shoulders that we stand upon. And uh, we think this kind of content and telling of stories can build resiliency in our communities. And we're really curious about resilience. What does, what does resilience mean? And what creates it? And can we find examples of that in the world? Loxley, what is resilience to you? Well, resilience, I think, to me, means a lot of things. But maybe in a nutshell, I could say that it's a type of strength. It's a type of way to bounce back. And for example, if I do uh, 10 push-ups today, I can do maybe every day, I can do maybe 11 push-ups next week, for example. And I think that in the times that we're living in, there is a cascade of challenges for each one of us and for our communities. And I think what resilience does is it builds strength to take on this cascade of challenges in a positive and helpful way. And what about you? What does resilience mean to you? I agree with your definition. One thing that I look at is potential disasters that could happen and what will make those disasters not have such an, a disastrous effect. Things like that are resilient. Another idea that inspired me to start putting stories out there is that I think that there's certain things that if more people have an understanding about, they can help create resiliency around issues that that are a big issue in our time um, that could cause a lot of damage in the future. Uh, so I like to call these pioneer ideas. And what I mean by that is in the biology world, there's something called a pioneer plant. So when there's a, an empty field, just dirt, these first plants are the pioneer plants that come in and start putting their roots into the soil and attracting certain insects. And that's what allows more plants to keep coming and more plants to keep coming so that ecosystem can restore itself. And I think that there's some ideas like that out there too and things that if just more people knew um, could have huge effects in the fabric of our communities. So for example, one of these things is listening. So the larger thing that our communities need is that we need to get along with each other. We need to be able to cooperate and actually talk to each other and think about how do my decisions affect this guy over here? And how does his decisions affect me over here? And the way that that happens, like one of the things that can help that happen and help people get along more is knowing how to really listen to somebody and to to not have a a perspective of what that person's going to say or just be thinking in my own head oh um, i'm gonna say this i'm gonna respond this way when this person's done talking but to really stop and listen 
to what they're saying and allow what they're saying affect me and then have my answers respond to that truth of what they're saying. So we do a lot of listening on this podcast. And that's another reason why we're such a big fan of StoryBridge as a methodology, because it really teaches people in a fun and creative way um, and a connective way uh, how to listen. So listening is one of those pioneer ideas that if more people are paying attention to and learning how to do, then that's going to create more resiliency in our social systems. Yeah, and I like this concept you have of these pioneer ideas, like ideas that when more people understand and start taking action around them, they can be real game changers in creating a resilient and connected and healthier world. And we like to try to broadcast these ideas out like as if they were seeds. And that's, again, one of the inspirations of why we make these podcasts. We want to make it easier for people to connect to ideas and tell more people about these ideas. And I think, and I'm experimenting and learning about how when you share an idea as a story and you share that idea in action as a story, it makes it even easier for people to connect with that idea and share it to even more people. And I want to share a success that we've had with this podcast in this way. We did a podcast recently on Grow Some Good, which is a local nonprofit that has school gardens. And that's one of those ideas, like teach more kids how to connect with nature. That's a pioneer idea for sure. And that's what this organization does. So what we did is we used StoryBridge to help the organization hear and have some quality time with each other, hearing the empowering, impactful things that they've done in their community. And then about a month after we released all these stories of different voices telling these stories of helping kids connect with nature in impactful ways, someone contacted me and said, I love these stories. Can I please use this particular story in a conference talk that I'm giving, a workshop that I'm giving at a conference in education? And of course I said yes, and that's what it's about for me, that I was able to provide a story-based piece of content that then somebody else could use to help these ideas spread farther and farther out into the community. And I'm so glad that you brought up Grow Some Good because we have a very special announcement to make about this winter's fun drive. And that is that our winner for our winter fun drive was Grow Some Good. So what that means is Grow Some Good will be getting a portion of our donations. And congratulations, congratulations to everybody at Grow Some Good. Congratulations. And you can hear that podcast. It's episode 18, Grow Some Good, Story Bridge. And just to break down a little bit about what these fun drives are, in case you haven't heard about them yet, we do one in the winter and one in the summer. And people that donate to us as patrons on Patreon, we get them to vote on the different stories that we've told over the past six months. And Whichever project gets the most votes by our donors receives a portion of the money that we receive in donation. And we love sharing the good in that way. And uh, congratulations to Go Some Good. So if you'd like to be part of our voting team, um, you can sign up to be a patron at www.patreon.com slash storyconnective. It can be as low as $1 per piece of content that we release. And we'd love to have your help in sharing the good and sharing the wealth and sharing the messages of these really important projects in the world. Yeah, and we would also like to take this time out to thank 
Elsa and Sarah Morrill and all the people at Elsa, E-L-L-S-S-A dot O-R-G, which is an acronym that means Enlighten, Lift, Love, Serve, Share, Awaken. They are a nonprofit partner. Yes, what we do would not be possible without them. They're how we have nonprofit status. And they're just an incredible group of people that care so much about the world. They are a foundation of personal development and world growth with the sole objective and determination of bringing people together to alleviate world suffering while striving to empower each individual to take ownership of a healthier, stronger future. Uh, So thank you so much to Sarah Morrill and the ELSA team for your support. And I suggest that you go and check them out too at www.ellsa.org. That's it for our podcast today. You can learn more about the Story Connective on our website, storyconnective.org. And Story Connective is 100% listener and viewer supported. We create these stories because we really do believe that the stories that we see and hear shape what we think is possible. And we want more stories to get out there that inspire people to be educated and be part of a positive future in the world. And if you support our 501c3 mission and vision, please do make a donation. We run on donations and we really appreciate your support. You can make a one-time donation on Patreon, meaning you give us a donation each time we create a piece of content. Or you can use the Be a Patron button on the Podbean podcast app. And thank you so much to all of our supporters out there, too. We missed you over our little travel break, but we're back now. Audio recording by Loxy Clovis at storyconnective.org. Audio production by Loxy Clovis. The intro song is Which That Is This by Dr. Turtle, released under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The outro song is by Rebecca Rhapsody. Special thanks to our nonprofit fiscal sponsor, Elsa. The purpose of this podcast is for nonprofit education, news, and commentary. This podcast is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License. Thank you for listening to the Story Connective.